Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. Hi, Kevin. How are you? Other than whatever it is you're dealing with, would you like to disclose? Uh, no, I do not want to disclose. Oh, yes, I have. I have COVID. I tested positive Sunday. I probably had it for a few days. Uh, kind of living in denial uh, a little bit. Uh, thought, well, thought it was maybe just allergies because that's what it felt like. Uh, and that's what it is. So, so I'm doing all right, though. Uh, feeling good enough anyway. And uh, good enough to do this uh, podcast. And uh, What a and- trooper you are. Well, you know, stayed up late last night. Got in the car and trying to get ahead today. Just... You know, just, you know, I'm an old man. I'm fixing to be older. You know, I have my birthday coming up uh, next week. You know, I'll be the, I'll be Route 66 next week. How about that? Goodness gracious. You are ancient. I am ancient. Um, so anyway, uh, that's all. That's enough for the personal side of everything. Uh, Evan's in Cleveland where uh, apparently they, they need a roof for their baseball stadium. They've got a, a, a new team name. Uh, the Guardians, uh, but as our producer Jeff Whittington pointed out, they can't guard against the rain. They're not doing a very good job. No, no. It uh, was not a good forecast yesterday, and I'm not so sure how uh, favorable it is for this afternoon. But listen, if um, if all else fails, it'll be another free night in Cleveland, and boy. Is there anything better than that, a free night in Cleveland? There really wasn't last night. I walked back from the hotel in the rain and did not pass an open restaurant on the way. So, um, and my hotel apparently did not have any room service. So poor Evan went to bed with no dinner. (laughs) No dinner for Evan. No dinner. Usually that's Gina that, that determines that whether you get dinner or not. I'm I'm sorry that that happens to you even on the road. Holy cow. That is terrible. Sad. It is sad. Very sad. It's sad to the think hunger, of you. The hunger pangs are deep in my belly right now. I can tell you had your dauber down a little bit. I, I, I get it now. I understand why that's the, the problem. So we'll, we'll try to perk you up a little bit, Evan, and we'll, we won't talk about food on, on this uh, uh, podcast. So at any rate, uh, the Rangers uh, are, are in Cleveland. And uh, that was, I tell you, Evan, that was a really disappointing series over the weekends against, against the Mariners. Blew two saves. Uh, blew an opportunity to to leapfrog the Angels into second place in the AL West. Um, it's kind of been the story of the Rangers a little bit this year. Uh, the bullpen has kind of been all over the map. Uh, started out the season terribly, uh, then went through a, a, a span where it was doing pretty well, and then uh, uh, then what happened last week? Um, and uh, you know, judging by my emails, that's always. The, uh, the biggest trigger for fans is when somebody goes out there and blows, a, especially when you blow a three-run lead in the ninth like Matt Bush did. Um, I, think this, I think the numbers show that Matt Bush is very effective and he, if he's pitching in the sixth or seventh or eighth inning. Uh, if he's pitching in the ninth inning, it's a different matter entirely, especially if there is a save on the line. Uh, he has three blown saves this year. Um, I, I, just don't, I just don't think that, that Matt Bush should be allowed anywhere near the ninth inning. Uh, I know that their their options were a little limited uh, Sunday with Joe Barlow. I did think that the skipper left him in there too long uh, without getting somebody else up. I also uh, think that uh, maybe they uh, should have walked Eugenio Suarez, who personally wrecked them in that series. 
Well, I you, know, you can make an argument either way. I mean, with Suarez, if you had walked Suarez, you push the the tying run to, to to scoring position, and then you put the go ahead run on base for free. Um, but at the same point in time, this is a guy who had been hot and who had wrecked you all weekend. I I, I think the the bullpen issue. I, 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 the best way for me to say it is I don't think it's it's necessarily dire, but at the same point in time, I I, I don't think it's um, um, terribly surprising either. This bullpen is going to ride some highs and lows. They had had a nice stretch. Uh, Joe Barlow blew a save on Friday night with a, with a mistake pitch to Suarez, um, but he came right back less than 24 hours later and closed them. Close Seattle out, I think, on uh, 13 pitches. Very effective one, two, three, ninth inning with a one-run lead, uh, which is something you want to see and is really the test for a young closer. And, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, Bush's issue, and I, I talked a little bit with Doug Mathis about this yesterday, is his issue has always been that his fastball doesn't have a whole lot of horizontal movement. Uh, I was going back and looking through stats, and, he moves the ball up and down in the strike zone as well as anybody in the big leagues. He's accurately his movement above average is leads all of the major leagues, but he's below average when it comes to moving the ball side to side. And so you've got to work your you've got to work the ball up or down a lot better than Matt has. And after he went 2-0 on the first hitter on Sunday, eight of the next ten pitches were in the heart of the strike zone. You can't get by that way in the big leagues in the ninth inning. You just simply can't get by. And they've talked to Matt about trying to get him to throw fewer strikes to to get guys to try and chase up or down. Um, but as long as he throws the fastball, it's going to be difficult if, if, if he doesn't go above or below the zone. And my question to Doug Mathis on this was, since his fastball is kind of true or straight, if he starts the ball out above or you know above the zone, and he doesn't have a terrible amount of sink, if 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 he starts the ball out above the zone, aren't guys going to recognize that pretty quickly, and um and and, and be able to lay off it? So that that's going to be the real test. I think the good news for the bullpen, Kevin, is that both Jonathan Hernandez and Jose Leclerc are now on their rehab assignments from Tommy John surgery. The results have been a little bit mixed on Leclerc so far. He's about a week ahead of, of Hernandez in terms of recovery. But the hope is that both of these guys could be back in the Rangers' bullpen um, by the 1st of July. I think Leclerc may be a little bit before that. I think my issue for uh, all of that, and, and and that was kind of, you know, I think we need to remind everybody that Matt Bush didn't come up as a pitcher. He was a shortstop. That's what he was uh, drafted as. He, he tried to make a career conversion, and he did do that. He does throw the ball really hard. It, it, yeah, but that's the problem is it's just straight as a string. Uh, so if the, the Rangers can get past, you know, these kind of things, that's that's one issue solved. The problem is for me, at what point do you start to feel a little bit of panic that, look, this is a team that could be con- uh, uh, competing uh, for a, a playoff spot? Uh, and how long do you just wait uh, on, and hopefully – that that Leclerc and Hernandez, when they come back, uh, are, are are they going to be in optimum form? No, not after this long of a layoff. So we're, even if, even when they come back, you can't really expect them to step right in and boom, they're performing well. Um, 
And this is kind of feels a little bit like, you know, uh, that, that John Daniels and uh, Chris Young are fiddling while the Rangers hopes are burning. Uh, and, and I, I, I wonder, you know, I, I go back to the thing we, we've talked about all year long, which is shouldn't they have made a deal to shore up the bullpen in the off season to kind of smooth things over until they get to the point where those guys are actually ready to play. Well, I mean, you, yeah, we've talked about that previously. Um, you know, I know Jake Diekman got off to a to a hot start, and that was a guy that they had expressed some interest in. I don't know; uh, he has cooled off somewhat. Um, but I, this was—I think it just goes back to the initial equation, and this is why the Rangers are sitting here at twenty-five and twenty-eight and haven't been able to get over the hump and really just kind of step out of the way and let the angels plummet below them as uh, the angels continue to lose. Um, Speaking of bad bullpens, this, this was not a, this was, this was not a complete roster. It wasn't a roster that you were going to be able to complete in one off season. I think doing the amount of spending that the Rangers did with $580 million was a lot. And certainly the guy that they spent, you know, nearly half of that money on has not has not held up his end of the bargain yet, and that's Marcus Simeon. But there were going to be holes. There was just no way that there weren't going to be holes in this roster this year, or at least questions. I think for more of the season than not, the bullpen, which had questions, has plugged those holes fairly well. I think the bigger holes that have been exposed have been certainly at third base, uh, which they weren't able to address, um, and in and, and in left field, you know those are those are two positions where they haven't gotten a whole lot of offense. And certainly, listen, Marcus Simeon and, and Corey Seager, the Rangers spent five hundred million dollars on those guys. They have simply not um, produced at the level that this club expected. Seager's hit some home runs, but my biggest issue last week was when the Rangers got to five hundred. They had opportunity after opportunity to produce run scoring hits and give themselves some breathing room in games against uh, Tampa Bay and Seattle and refused to do it uh, just over and over and over again until Sunday when Garver hit that three run home run. They, they have struggled with runners in scoring position in key situations. It's something they did last year when they got to 500, something they did in 2020 when they got to 500. And I don't know if that suggests that maybe this team tightens up with different personnel when it gets to 500 or what, but my bigger issue is the money was spent on the offense. The offense should be helping this team uh, out of the hole more than the bullpen should be right now. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, the, the the issue is that there's a lot of bad offense in baseball now. It's not just the Rangers. You know, there's a lot of teams struggling to hit down. And these are all things that, that won't get solved in my mind uh, this season at all uh, because of the dead baseball, because of shifts, and because of what it's done to the game. And uh, and, uh, and hopefully they're going to rectify those things in this offseason when they realize that they got to do something because this is a terrible product to market to the masses at this point. But I will say, um, I think that uh, one of the issues for me a little bit in these two signings uh, of, uh, of Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager is, and they're both really quiet guys. Um, you know, they, they kind of just uh, play uh, based on, you know, they're leading by example, right? That's what we, we always call that. Uh, well, the example's not great. 
and and when you're uh, quiet and you're not doing very much on the field as well, uh, and you're making all that kind of money, you're supposed to. Be, this is why you know they brought them in. It's just what you talked about the team tightening up last year. Well, it's because they had so many young guys and guys who don't have a track record and all of that. Well, these guys got track records. You know, uh, Marcus Simeon set a major league record for home runs by a second baseman last year. And Corey Seager's been a World Series MVP. Um, these are guys who should be doing something. And when they don't do anything on the field, and then when they're just so quiet, uh, you know, it, Corey Seager was on a commercial the other day, and it's like, yeah, this is the most I've seen him talk, you know, all year in a commercial. You know, it, it's just – it's not a good example. It's not a good fit. I, I, I go back to what – when Juan Gonzalez was the, the Rangers' highest-paid player, and it's like, yeah, Juan's a great player, but, man – he gave you nothing else. Otherwise, uh, there was no leadership whatsoever uh, from Juan. And when you give all your money to those kinds of people, I just think it makes it very difficult uh, when when a team is struggling. Well, it, it it does, but I mean, you know, the 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 investment there was that they were going to produce, and if they produce, then that's how they lead. If they, to your point, right. if they don't if they don't produce, then they better find a way to lead, and that's where you run into trouble. Um, but I had a long conversation with some people yesterday about this, and it's just you look around this roster, and until Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager get hot, there's nobody that I feel like is capable of t- putting this team on its back for two or three weeks. Adolis Garcia does does some great things and, and has some highlights that, that, that are amazing, but I still don't think he's the kind of guy that you say, okay, we're going to ride you for two weeks. Um, those are the guys – Simeon and Seeger, who will sustain a hot streak for this team. They are the guys who will invariably deliver big hits in big situations. And to this point, they just haven't. No, they haven't. And we'll see if they are able to do that. I, I would think so. Their, their track records say so. Uh, but certainly in Simeon's case, there are things to indicate, as you wrote uh, the other day, about uh, difficulty hitting the fastball. Uh, and, and, and Simeon's a prime example of that. Uh, just really seems to struggle in the fastball this year. That's troubling. I've got my own very convoluted theories on this very quickly. I'll just say I think that, you know, when the Rangers didn't ask players to necessarily change when their new hitting coaches came in. I think they went to their hitters and said, you know, tell us what works. But I also think that the hitting coaches made a presentation to all the hitters based on, you know, kind of what their philosophy was. And as we've discussed a little bit, the philosophy was that guys were going to identify pitches um, in certain zones and really commit and sell out to those pitches, which meant starting your swing earlier and counting on fastballs. Um, And I think that Simeon has tried to please on that regard. Uh, I don't think the Rangers have said, hey, you need to do this or you need to do that. But I think he took those that to heart and as a quote-unquote leader, tried to buy into that. And I think what it's led to is it's led to him being in between on everything. And he's got to get out of his own head in that regard. And until he does, I think we're going to continue to see a lot of weak contact uh, in big situations. Yeah, he needs to work that out. There's no question about that. All right, that's going to do it for our Rangers segment of the podcast. Now we're going to go to something we we like to call the potpourri, which is – I don't like to call it that. I really don't. No? I don't like like potpourri. potpourri. I don't like smorgasbord. I I can't remember the last time somebody in their 20s used either of those words. 
people say potpourri all the time to me. When I'm, when I'm driving down the street, people are yelling at me, potpourri! It's unbelievable. No. It's unbelievable the, the, the uh, listener reaction to all this stuff. People love it. They can't get enough potpourri. Well, let's get to the potpourri. The... Let's get to the potpourri. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. You know, a lot of different things happening uh, these days. Uh, the uh, um, Nico Harrison was on the, the radio uh, the other day, and I know that Callie Kaplan, our fine Mavericks beat writer, uh, is having a lunch, uh, maybe even as we speak, uh, with Nico Harrison uh, to, to talk about uh, the season. And uh, and I'm sure something will come of that. But what was striking about his comments, I thought, were a couple of things. One, uh, when he said that if you look at the the parts that we have here, nothing really stands out. Which, you know, is not exactly what people like Jalen Brunson and uh, Maxi Kleba and uh, Dorian Finney-Smith or Reggie Bullock probably want to hear. But it is the truth. Uh, and he, But he did say, but the sum of the parts is terrific. You know, they play really well, and, and we all know that. Um, I think the one issue for me, uh, as I've been thinking about this with the Mavericks, and, and I have written and, and espoused the idea that you know that they don't need that second or third star like they thought they've always needed. What they what they really need is just a, a rim protector and a rebounder. And and I think that this this uh, this formula that they've come up with of playing this five out basketball can really work, or at least they ought to give it a shot. What the heck? Um, but I've also been thinking about the fact that you know it may not be as easy to attract another star to this team as we think. Uh, because of Luka Doncic's ball uh, dominance. Uh, you know, the other day in the exit interviews, uh, Jalen Brunson talked about that a little bit, about how much he wants to come back and how you have to really learn to play with Luka. And and I think that that's true. Uh, so I, I do think that the, the Mavs are, are, are backed into a corner a little bit until we see whether other superstars really do want to play with Luka uh, not because he's not a great player, just because he's so ball dominant. It's, it takes a little bit to get used to the fact that you're not going to have the ball in your hands all the time, or at least some of the time. Uh, certainly, Kristaps Porzingis didn't handle that very well. I'm not saying that it, it wouldn't work for somebody else, but it didn't work for him. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's an issue. Um, but I think both of us are, are in agreement here that I feel like the best remedy for the Mavericks going forward is, as you said, a rim protector rebounder if they're going to try and play this style. And that it doesn't need to be a star. It can be a, it can be a complimentary player, but it's got to be somebody who can go to the boards and rebound some of those missed threes and give them some second chance shots and somebody who can get a few defensive rebounds as well. So, um, uh, you're big on, I, I think, who, Portis? Yeah, Bobby Portis. Uh, he, he's got a he's a restricted free agent. The Bucks could re-sign him. Uh, they could match an offer that anybody else made. Uh, supposedly he w- would want 13 to $14 million. They would probably have to do a sign-and-trade to get Bobby Portis. Uh, it would require them, you know, giving up uh, perhaps the, the, their first-round draft pick this year along with – uh, a guy, you know, like Davies Bertans, you know, because of his contract, he's making $16 million next year. They, they can't go out and sign somebody, in other words. They, what they have to do is is make a trade. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why they made the Przingis trade was to break up his contract, which they did by acquiring Spencer Dinwiddie and Davies Bertans. Um, and that makes it 
more <clears throat> one of those contracts more movable than a thirty-five million dollar contract. Sure. Uh, so that's that's something they, they they're going to need to work out though. They're going to have to do something this offseason. They they came awfully close this year. I know a lot of people are saying it was a fluke. Uh, we'll see if it's a fluke or not. Uh, they're going to have to uh, get somebody in here though to at least give them a shot at making this thing work. It's it's to me again to me it's not it's not a fluke. It just comes down to this: how well do you shoot that night when you're when you're the kind of team that the Mavericks are? It's going to depend on how well you shoot. You if if you make your three pointers, great. If you don't, then you're in a whole lot of trouble. And certainly in Game Seven. They play a, a, of the uh, semis. They played incredible defense and hit their shots, and that's a great formula. But I think what we also saw was that's almost impossible to repeat on a nightly basis. All right, so let's move over now to the Cowboys. Dalton Schultz has said that he will not participate in the rest of the OTAs because he's well. He didn't say this, but that's reportedly. He's frustrated over the fact that they have not been able to get him a long-term contract. The, the club tagged him at $10.93 million for this year, so that was quite a raise from last year. Um, David Njoku, the uh, tight end uh, for the Cleveland Browns, got a five-year deal of $56 million, and, and, a, and he did not have as good a season last year as uh, Dalton Schultz did. So obviously that's a baseline for what he wants going forward. And I got to tell you, as much as I like Dalton Schultz this last year, he was a good option. He's a tough guy, and, and he is a pretty good two two way tight end. He ain't worth thirteen, fourteen, fifteen million dollars a year. Uh, is they, he? It, I, I mean, it would it would really take some time here. I mean, it's a lot easier to do this with quarterbacks. But do you consider Dalton Schultz a top tier tight end in the NFL right now? No, I don't. I mean, I think his numbers suggest that. I mean, he had 800 yards uh, receiving. You know, he was a uh, he was a significant target this year. I mean, his numbers were just as good as Amari Cooper's. But is uh, he one of the top 11 in the league? Well, I think probably so. I, I think yeah, well, I think what <clears throat> fans would tell you is that you know he's not a game breaker. You're, you're not going to throw the ball to Dalton Schultz and go there he goes. You know, right. he, he's he's not going to be Rob Gronkowski in his prime. He's not going to be you know. Uh, a lot of tight ends in this league who who are legitimate game breakers, you know, Kelsey and Kansas City, you know, Little, that that type of thing. He's not that kind of, of tight end. So, I, but you know, I don't think there are a lot of tight ends in this league who are game breakers. I mean, I think you've got maybe three or four, and then after that, it's all very good. And I, I still come. I, I think when you're talk about when you're talking about negotiating contracts here. We've got to kind of look at it and say, okay, is this guy one of the top – is he a top-tier tight end? And I, I think you, if, if we sat here and ranked him, he'd probably be right on the cusp at, at 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there. I think he's probably better than that. But, I, but my issue is, is that tight ends are just not that important. You know, when in the grand scheme of things, a tight end is like a safety. You know, it's, it's you know the, the, these are positions that you can find these kind of guys and replace them. They they have uh, drafted a couple of guys that they like, and we'll see how well they perform. Dalton Schultz has probably outperformed what they thought he was going to be when they like they drafted him in the third round. Uh, he's ended up being a much better player than he certainly indicated before that. They they gave Blake Jarwin uh, a fairly good contract. I think he was making eleven million a year. So uh, I think that uh, it's, a, it's a question now of what they're going to do going forward with him. Uh, I, I just feel like that you, you're going to have to pay Trayvon Diggs. You're going to have to eventually pay, pay Micah Parsons. These are guys who are game changers at their positions. And so 
you got to pay those guys. That's what the Rams are doing. The Rams are are paying guys who are game changers. They are not paying guys who are playing in uh, kind of positions where it's kind of like on the periphery of how important are we really. All agreed, but I, I, I still, and this would be more narrative than I have than anything with data to back it up, and maybe at some point in time I would look that up, but I feel like great teams have great tight end play. Now, what the cost of that tight end play is, I'm not entirely sure, but it feels to me like come playoff time, guys, teams who have great tight ends to go to have more options, more ability to change, to, to adjust and change games. Yeah, I just think that the question, as I said, the numbers are good. Uh, but your point's nice great. Player. I mean, you're, you've got to rank him, not necessarily among tight ends, but you've got to rank him among game changers on your roster. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And the Cowboys are, you know, we, we saw what happened this offseason, right? They've already lost players that they would like to keep. Uh, just couldn't keep them. you got to make decisions based on the salary cap. Uh, also this week, we're going to have the LIV Golf in London. It goes off, uh, and, and that's been a very weird deal. We, we saw Dustin Johnson uh, say yesterday at a press conference that he has resigned from the PGA Tour, just like Kevin Na has done. Apparently, Sergio, Gar- Sergio Garcia did as well and some others. Uh, they're doing that to avoid a lifetime ban. Uh, they they will uh, hope, as Dustin Johnson said, to play in majors, which I really don't get how that works. Uh, okay, you're not going to be a member of the PGA Tour, but you're going to be able to play in majors. The, the PGA Tour commissioner has not made a ruling on whether these guys will be able to do that or not. I just don't see how they're going to be able to, to allow them to do that. If you allow these guys to play in majors – the young guys will still play on the tour because you know they're still they're still trying to rack up wins and and money and the rest of it. They can't afford to pick and choose what they play in. Uh, guys like Dustin Johnson, who has a, I believe twenty four career victories, uh, he can do that at thirty seven. Uh, the question is, should the PGA Tour allow them to do that? Uh, there are there are a number of reasons why you might question that. Starting with the fact that this is a Saudi backed uh, league, uh, which was responsible uh, the, the prince of uh, Saudi Arabia uh, it's believed was responsible for the murder of a, of a journalist a murder and dismemberment of a journalist at that so this has got a lot of questionable things to go on for it and that's uh, that's going to be a question for me going forward is that what does the PGA tour do it has to make a decision here I think pretty soon. Uh, I, I don't think that anybody else is signing going to sign up for this at uh, this rate. And as we've seen before, if you don't attract stars when you're trying to start these new leagues, it doesn't matter how much money you have, the money eventually w- runs out. People just decide we're not going to pay for something that's not star-driven. Sure. And I, I think really you, you can talk about the tournaments and everything or, or the fields, but really it is the four majors that – make the PGA tour. I mean, nobody, nobody is really fired up about the John Deere opens of the world. Um, they are fired up about the four majors. And if you keep those players out of the four majors, um, maybe you do have some leverage, uh, at this point in time, it just looks like it's all a money play for me. No, there's no question about that. They're offering a lot of money. Uh, Dustin Johnson apparently got a signing bonus of 125 million. 
you know, whether this thing works out or not, if he indeed gets at 125 million, I guess he's pretty much set for life. I love that though. When people say where well, I'm just trying to, to set up my family here. And, and it's like, Dustin Johnson has made $71 million in his career. You know, did that not set up your family? I mean, the, yacht, the price of yachts these days has really, <laughs> although I guess with all these confiscated Russian yachts, there's going to be a good, there may be some value on the, on the yacht resale market. Flooded, flooded market for yachts. Is that yeah. what you're saying? I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm quite frankly looking into what I might be able to pick up on the yacht market. Yeah. You know, we had a yacht once. Uh, it was, it was about an 18 foot yacht. Uh, it was called a Bayliner. It was, boy, what a, what a ship that baby was. I tell you. <laughs> the only yacht I've ever had is a Yahtzee and I haven't had that in a while either. You know, Yahtzee's great. We love Yahtzee. Uh, we, we love playing it here. I, I used to get mad at the kids when they were, they were counting up and they would be counting the dots on the on the dice. I'd say, you cannot count it. Just add it up. You know, Yahtzee. Yahtzee's great stuff. Jeff pipes in that 20-year-olds love Yahtzee. And I will point out that one of my friends on social media who is much younger than I, she has, since the pandemic, played Yahtzee on Zoom with her grandma so um look at that yahtzee on zoom it's it's a multi-generational game yahtzee is yes it is you can't beat it can't beat yahtzee uh so uh, evan have we got anything else we need to talk about besides uh board games no i'm gonna go be bored at some games now for for a long time so um we'll see if we can get a couple games in here in cleveland today uh this being Tuesday, and um, uh, I all I know is since May 1, I've been on the road, uh, and I have covered six actual baseball games and three rainouts. So my uh, my proportion is not great right there. I think that's what you should be writing about, is that all these teams need to be getting roofs. Come Listen, on, I don't go. think you should build a stadium these days in, if it's not in California without a retractable roof. So, Yeah. There you go. But right, then, then again, Cleveland was built in 94. The city? Yes, the city was built in 94 on rock and roll. No, that was San Francisco, I think, that was built on rock and roll. Who was it that built that? He built this city on rock and roll. Who was Who was it that? That was the Starship, Jefferson Starship. They built I know the city that, but, on rock and roll but, but with San Francisco. They were built in San Francisco? Well, I believe so. They're from San Francisco, and San Francisco is featured prominently in the music video, which is from MTV. And also, 20-year-old kids, they used to play music videos on MTV. I, You know, and I had no idea, but I was not, a, you know, I, I was more of an airplane fan instead of the Starship. Of course you as, were. As soon as they went to uh, to Captain Kirk, you know, it was like, I, I'm, not, I'm not on board with this anymore. When you were just in the airplane, it was better. That's uh, all right. Starts. Last night, the appeal to the young crowd when the when the rain came in and somebody talked about the winds off of Lake Erie. I made a uh, I made a wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald pun <laughs> on um, on Twitter. I'm not sure many people got it, but oh well, that's okay. But yeah, it's we... one of the greatest songs written about a shipwreck on the on a great lake. Um, maybe maybe the only one, but that's it. That's okay. One of the greatest, I would I would say. I'm a listen. I, you're you're preaching to the choir, pal. I'm a huge Gordon Lightfoot fan. Uh, Love that Edmund Fitzgerald. He's the best. I liked him before Edmund Fitzgerald, by the way. So anyway, uh, 
All right, that's enough cultural events. So thanks for coming in. We appreciate it. Be sure to tune in next week. We'll be back again and have a nine. We'll pound away on board games of the 21st century.